I love my church. I love watching videos like this of things we are doing, you know, foster family picnics and things like that, that show that our church is trying to reach outside the walls of this place. And, you know, some of you are probably like, well, of course you love your church. You're on staff. But um, I, I just want you to know, I came to this church, my family did, before I came on staff. And it was during that time that I really started falling in love with the vision that this church has to be and make disciples. The mission that we have to reach the world for Christ one person at a time. And it's like, I can really get behind that and fall in love with it. And then I started to get to know, you know, some of the leadership, the elders and the pastors and some of the other staff. It's like, wow, I love my church. And then I started to get to know the people in the church. And I love most of my, no, I love my church. And, you know, and that's the place that this is the body of Christ working together. And I just think, what if what God wrote in this book, we took seriously? Because it's true. And so often, you know, we turn to the Bible and it's like, oh, I really love this verse. I love 40, Psalm 4610, peace be still. And yeah, I want that peace of God in my life. And, you know, I love this one that God laid his life down for me. But what if we took the whole context of scripture seriously and we act in obedience to that? And so that's where we want to go today. You know, we're in the middle of this series called I Love My Church. So if you haven't been here for a couple weeks or you're new here, two weeks ago, Tyler and Eric talked about what God is doing in our high school and middle school ministry. Seeing how God is working through 13 to 18-year-olds to, pr to promote the kingdom of God. He shared, you know, how they went to the Philippines about a month ago and started doing international stuff. And then last week, Adam came and talked about recovery ministry and how people with hurts and habits and hangups are finding life transformation and healing through our recovery ministry and just seeing fruit in that. And this week, we're going to talk about local outreach. As your local and international outreach pastor, I mean, I, I got to tell you, this, this burns deep in me. If there's something that keeps me up at night, it's what's God doing in our community and in the world. Because next week, you guys are in for a treat. We have three international partners that we have as a church. One is Ronald Cazito. He is a pastor in Fort Portal, Uganda. And Ronald's just a dear, faithful brother. And if you remember back at Christmas time, we did our Joy to the World offering. And part of that offering went to plant a church in the Kanara Village outside of Fort Portal. This is the 25th church plant that Ronald has launched. And he launched this one because of Valley Real Life that we, we sent money for a crusade. Uh, this is a, a town of about 15,000. They're a fishing village. 247 people put their faith in Christ at this crusade because you guys sent money to enable them to go do this. Then on top of that, you know, I talked to Ronald about a month ago. He goes, hey, we started a church. Our church, we're supporting the two planting pastors, Richard and Tadeo, that have moved their families to this area. It's a tough area. It's, you know, it's, it's mostly refugees from the Congo and Rwanda and Burundi, and, and, and it's tough uh, health-wise. And they planted a church. It started with 25 people. Ronald called me a month ago. He goes, Steve, it doubled. And it was 50. I just talked to Ronald this morning. He goes, Steve, it doubled again. We have 100 people at the Kanara Village Church. And he said, would you tell your church thank you because you guys are the ones supporting financially richer and today until they can get this church up on their feet. 
And on top of that, they're putting a well at this church. Because, I mean, this village, they drink out of Lake Albert. The same water, you know, that the wildlife, the hippos and the crocodiles and all this stuff drink out of. And it's toxic water. And so you have given money to put a well there and 20,000 people are going to find life-changing water physically, but they're going to find life-changing water spiritually too because God's going to work through it what you guys did. So that's one of our partners. Our second partner is, is a guy in Asia and we, we have to really keep you know, his identity under wraps because it's really critical uh, security-wise where he's at. But he has invited Valley Real Life to partner with him. They have raised up hundreds, if not thousands of missionaries to go into the 22 Arab countries. And he goes, Steve, we want to do this with you. And it's like, okay, so what does this look like? And, and so, um, you know, so I went to Egypt with him. Some of us went to the Philippines and met up with him. And God's doing good stuff. And, and I'm hearing him talk about these missionaries and they're going into an area, me as a white American guy, I can't just go you know, into Iran and preach the gospel, but he can. And he said, Steve, these missionaries are willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. And I'm, I'm meeting some of these missionaries and they're like, yeah, if I die here for the kingdom, praise the Lord. And it's like, God, I want that type of conviction. I want that conviction that what this book says is so passionate that I'm willing to lay down my life every day so that people would see the same God that I have grown to love and that you have grown to love. And so next week, John Bogalawas, our third partner from Baguio, Philippines, he and his wife, uh, Hannah, are coming and they're just humble, faithful servants of God. And you guys are going to love these guys. And I just want to encourage you to connect with them. Find a way in, in their two weeks here to engage with them. And so he's going to be preaching next week at all the services. And God is doing an amazing thing through John and Hannah. And this little church, Covenant City Church in Baguio, Philippines. And the same church that our youth group just went to. And so that's what God's doing. So when we say, I love my church, church, I love my church. This is awesome. God's doing good things through us. And so today we want to spend a little time talking about what, is, what does God have for you? And I'm not talking about Valley real life. I want to talk to you personally. You personally, because God has called you to be part of his mission to the world. And so often, you know, where people land is, well, I haven't felt any call. You know, we're expecting this ultra spiritual, you know, wake up in the middle of the night, the angel's there in your room. It's like, you go. And no, you know what? That's not how I I experienced God's call. I started reading scripture and I realized 2,000 years ago, God called me. The last words Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. You have been called. The question is, are you going to obey the call? Are you willing to put your faith into motion? Regardless of where you are in this faith journey of, man, I'm here 
you know, Billy Graham's like here. Um, it doesn't matter. God, t- God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And he's called you. So today, I want to take some time, first of all, and just pray that our hearts would be open, our ears would hear what God has for you. Because when you leave tonight, or, well, it could be tonight. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. So, man, so people buckle up because we got something ready to go. But we're going to pray because I believe God has something for you today. And this is going to be one of those days. People are like, remember July 28th? That all of a sudden Valley Real Life woke up and we began changing this community that we live in because we're taking the word of God seriously. That's where we want to be as a church. So people, let's pray. God, you are so good, just as we sang. And God, we know that you have called us. And Lord, today, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us, would convict us. You would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and a heart to put into motion this call that you have on our lives. God, eternity hangs in the balance for these people. And how do we, as people that follow you, just walk by? God calls us to stop and let our lives intersect with theirs. Allow us to begin making some gospel noise outside the walls of this church for your glory. For your glory alone. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, when we talk about God's word and we talk about taking steps of faith, I I know for me, I always find myself looking at two different people. I look at Moses and I look at David. And I think, who are those great heroes of the faith? I mean, look at Moses. The dude looks like Charlton Heston. He's got to be amazing. And, you know, no, none of you under the age of 30 get that joke. But <laughs> us old people, I think it's pretty darn funny. And so, but, you know, I, I go to Moses. And I think, here's the guy. This is about 3,500 years ago. Moses is walking through the desert. And he sees a burning bush. And he goes up to the bush because it's not being consumed. And God starts speaking to him. Put yourself in Moses' shoe for a second. Shoes, he had two legs. Okay, well, I assume he did because he took off his sandals. Anyway, um, and he begins talking to God. And God says, Moses, go to the Pharaoh and lead my people out of slavery. There's a couple million Jews that have been enslaved for a couple hundred years. And Moses is supposed to go to the Pharaoh and lead them out. And I think, well, of course, it's Moses, this man of great faith. But let's see what scripture says about this guy. If you go to Exodus chapter 3 in verse 11, here's Moses' first response. I mean, he is listening to the voice of God. I wish it was that clear for me, where I could wake up and, you know, God just says, Steve, do this. It's like, okay, you know, and you just think, oh, this would be absolute obedience. But in 3.11, it says, Moses protested to God. Like, you, seriously, you protested to him? He said, who am I to appear, appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? 
Seriously. God just told you to go do this. And he's like, well, who am I? You know, and I think sometimes that's the excuse we make as people in the church. Those of you that are followers of Christ, I think so often that's where we land. It's like, well, God, who am I? I don't have a seminary degree. I'm not mature in my faith. I got all this baggage in my background. Who am I to go do that? I mean, you heard it last week from Adam. Here's a story that Adam told of his brokenness. You know, and I think, you know, you can't lead people to places you've never been. And so God is using Adam in the midst of his story to lead people to find the same restoration and reconciliation with God that he found. And so the question is, so what's your excuse? You know, and says, well, who am I? You know who you are. People, you're a child of the king. You're a son and daughter of the king. You're the one that Jesus was thinking of when he ascended into heaven. And he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're a son and daughter of the king. That's who you are. So quit seeing yourself in the mirror of, you know, I'm just a broken, ill-equipped, you know, I, I can't do any of this. Yeah, God says you can, though. So isn't it time that we wake up from this slumber and say, God, I'm going to follow who you say I am because you have given me the greatest power in the history of man. The Holy Spirit lives in me. That's who I am. And so often I live in fear that, but God, you know, what about the world? Well, you know what? There is no fear because the power of God can overcome all things. And so God affirms to Moses, Moses, no, you're the one I chose. And so in chapter four, verse one, it said, Moses protests again. Well, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? I mean, that's kind of how, as people start, well, who am I? Well, what if they won't believe me? You know, and and here's the part. You know, just, I've had this awesome privilege of being able to share the gospel and Kenya and Uganda and China and all these different places, thousands of people. I have never led anybody to Christ, ever. I was a youth pastor. I never led anybody to Christ. I had the awesome privilege of praying with people to put their faith in Christ, but I don't lead them. God leads them. My job is to be obedient to what God said to say, but God does the work. And so when you say, well, you know, what if they won't believe me? This has nothing to do with you. This has to do with God. Just do what he said to do. You know, that's what I love about Adam's sermon last week about take up your mat and walk. And the guys, the Pharisees came and said, why are you doing that? He goes, Jesus said, take up my mat. So here I go. (laughs) I wish we had that innocent obedience in everything that we would just do that. And so God again affirms Moses. But then in verse Uh, Chapter four, verse 10, Moses pleads again, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now. And so, you know, who am I? What if they don't believe me? I'm not very good with words. And then finally, in 413, Moses finally says, Lord, send someone else. That's not the Moses of the Ten Commandments of Charlton Heston that I remember. But that's, that's what it says in scripture, so it's true. And I think so often that's how we live our lives in passive disobedience. It's like, well, somebody else will do it. Why do I need to get involved? 
Because you got something that those people need. Because in the middle of all this, in chapter four, verse two, the Lord asked Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses says, a stick. He's got this staff. It's a stick. And God begins to use the stick. And it's that question, so what's in your hand today? God could do it, he could release millions of Jewish slaves through a stick. What about you? You know, humor me for just a second. Let me, let me see your hands. I know that means you have to put your phones down, your coffee and your hamburger and all that stuff, whatever. Okay? Or that checklist, okay, Steve only has eight more minutes, whatever. Show me your hands for just a second. Just humor me for a minute. What's in your hands? What's in your hands that God can use? Okay, you can put your hands down because I know your shoulders are getting tired. I don't know why, it was only like eight seconds, but take a look at your hands. What's God put in your hands? You know, so often we just go immediately to money, that money's gonna be the answer. You know, our, our Asia partner, I asked him, hey, how can we help you? He goes, Steve, we don't need your money. We need your connections. And he goes, you got these connections around the Arab nations that we don't have. That's what we need. I was like, wow. What about you? In your hands, do you have the ability to cook? We get calls all the time here at the church of people that are in the hospital, people that their loved one just died, and they're like, hey, could you make a meal for us? You know, somebody moves into your neighborhood. Have you thought about, hey, I'm just going to make some cookies and take them over and begin building relationship? Is that in your hand today? You know, for some of you, can you fix a car? You know, we get calls from these single moms and widows that need someone to help them fix their car because they can't get to work. Because they can't get to work, they can't make money. Because they can't make money, they can't pay to have their car fixed. But people in here have a gift. It's like, yeah, I know how to fix cars. Well, hey, you know, let us know so when people call us, we can put you on it. We want to be a church that finds tangible ways to love and to serve. So what's in your hand? Do you have the ability to love? You know, my wife and I, we went through this adoption journey. You know, we had two biological kids and God put on our heart to adopt. And in our hand, it's like, well, we got a bedroom. We have a seat in our car. We have this ability to love. You know, and it came with some fear. You know, we ended up adopting, you know, three girls from China and you know, I had two big fears that I just wrestled with. One was, can I love a child that's not biologically my own the same as I love these two biological kids? And I'll never forget our first adoption. 3.17 in the afternoon, I'm, I'm at the White Swan Hotel in Guangzhou, China, December 15, 2002. I mean, it's etched on my heart deep. And I turn the corner into room 713, and here's this little 13-month-old watching young. And it was like this. I felt like I was the Grinch for just a second where my heart grew three sizes that day. It's like, wow, I never knew I had the capacity to love like I did at that moment. The second fear was, God, I have no idea how we're gonna afford this because 
you know, we live paycheck to paycheck. The paycheck pretty much ends like the 25th of each month. We have no money in savings. We just said, God, you're calling us to it. We're going to say yes. You know, Hudson Taylor, the first missionary to inland China, he said, God's work done God's way never lacks God's supply. It's trusting him to do some of those things. The money showed. It showed in just crazy, miraculous ways. It showed in simple ways. I was teaching at Rogers. My class did a bake sale. And these are kids that had nothing. They raised $700 for my wife and I to adopt this little girl. I was blown away that they would do something like that. And I'm thinking, these kids are out loving me. And, and so as a church, how can, what's in your hand? How can you love? You know, I think about this other hero of the faith, David. In 2 Samuel 23, you know, David raised up these mighty men. And we hear a lot about mighty man number one and number two and number three, but it's mighty man number four. It's this guy named Benaiah that I'm really intrigued with Benaiah. Because, I mean, here's a guy, you don't, you know, it's not like we're going to do a whole sermon series on Benaiah. People are like, you know, is he like the left fielder for the Cleveland Indians? Or, you know, who is this guy? But in 2 Samuel 23, 20, it says, Benaiah did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and he killed it. Think about that. He chased the lion. Didn't say the lion chased him into the pit and he killed it. He chased the lion. He lived on offense. You know, it reminds me when I used to coach our, our kids in upwards basketball in kindergarten, first grade. The, the, you know, the referee would throw the ball up, the opening tip. Kid would get the ball and he would just start dribbling or she would start dribbling. And the coaches would all yell the same three words. You're on offense. <laughs> and I think there's a spiritual phrase right there when it said he chased the lion. People, you're on offense. Why do we as Christians, those that call ourselves followers of Christ, why do we live on defense our whole life? Why are we so afraid of the enemy when Satan has no power over the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, but we're so fearful that he does, but he doesn't. He's, he's caused us to believe a lie where he has more power than the living king and he doesn't because no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Why are we so afraid of the world that we don't want to engage in it? You know, we end up cloistering ourselves and hiding ourselves that we don't want to become, you know, exposed to the world, but that's right where God wants us. He wants us in the world because we're on offense, people. We're not on defense. You know, we don't have to live like this so afraid that I don't want anything to come into this house. It's like, no, we want the spirit of God to move in our community. We're on offense, Valley Real Life. That's where we need to live. That's where we need to live on offense. Well, can I just talk to you for a minute? I'm just going to put this sermon aside for just a second. You know, isn't there that spot where it's like, I want my life to mean something. I want to live this life of significance. I want to, I want to leave a legacy in, in my community. I want, I want somebody like Adam to stand up and, and I want to be the one they were like, oh yeah, that person entered my life and changed it. Don't you have that? You know, when your head hits the pillow, don't you feel like, I know there's more to this life. 
that I'm just not experiencing. You know, and sometimes what it is, it's beginning to put your faith into motion. You want to grow in your faith, begin doing some of these things outside the walls of the church. That's, that's when you grow. That's when you start finding this fulfillment. You know, they've done surveys with people, you know, before they die, and they ask them, hey, what's your regret? And I always thought, you know, regret was going to be things I did. And that's not how people answer it. It's what they didn't do. You know, and, and that was that thing I thought about when God called us to adopt these three girls. I think, what if we had said no? God, I'm too busy. I don't have the money. You know, what if, what if they come in and they ruin this family we already have and are loving? I don't want to regret that. I know for these three girls, their life changed that day. But so did ours. And so that's, I guess that's the question I just want to ask you is, what do you want your life to be? That's really what it comes down to. Do you want your life to have this significance because it's been totally thumbprinted by God? Where you start to look back and you start seeing God's thumbprint all over your days. You know, and so often we're just like, you know, we just kind of let the days go. I get up, I go to work. It's Saturday, I go play. I go to church on Sunday, I get up, I go to work. Saturday, I go play. And at, at the end of it, it's just like, it, it becomes unfulfilling at some point. Yeah, it may be great, you know, but my goal isn't, hey, I want to work hard, retire, and just arrive safely at death. I want to come skidding to a stop. I want to be so involved in what God's doing in the world that, you know, when it's time to go, man, there's skid marks and I'm just, you know, going hard to the end. And people, that's where our church needs to be. You know, I'm reminded of the story Francis Chan tells. He was in Brazil talking to this pastor. He just had this dynamic ministry. And, and Francis Chan, he's a pastor in California, author, noted speaker. And he's like, pastor, this is amazing. And the pastor's like, yeah, Francis, but man, it feels like a zoo. And Chan's like, what do you mean a zoo? Look at this. He goes, yeah. You know, have you ever seen the movie Madagascar? And Chan's like, well, yeah. You know, I'm a Christian. It's clean. I don't know, Gloria the Hippo. I don't know. It's not, whatever. But, and, and Chan's like, well, what do you mean a zoo? He goes, remember at the opening scene, Marty the zebra is running on the treadmill. And he has this picture of the wild out in front of him. And he's imagining himself out in the wild. And then he gets off the treadmill. And then a couple scenes later, he has a, a birthday party. And I, I want to show you a clip. Because there's a biblical truth in here that I think is going to sum up what our next step is. Let's take a look. Happy birthday to you. You live in a zoo. You look like a monkey. And you smell like one, two. two. <laughs> I say. Oh, well, now, you guys are just embarrassing me and yourselves. What are you talking about? We worked on that all week. Let's go. Let's make a wish, baby cakes. Come on, what'd you wish for? Go. Nope. 
Can't tell you that. Come on, tell. No siree, I'm telling you. It's bad luck. You want some bad luck? I'll blab it out. But if you want to be safe, oh, for I'll crying keep out loud, Marty, shut. Would you just tell us? I mean, really, what could happen? Okay. I wished I could go to the wild. The wild? Whoa! <laughs> I told you it was bad luck. The wild? Are you nuts? That is the worst idea I've ever heard. It's unsanitary. The penguins are going, so why can't I? The penguins are psychotic. Come on. Just imagine going back to nature. Back to your roots, clean air, wide open spaces. Well, I hear they have wide open spaces in Connecticut. Connecticut? Yeah, what you gotta do is you gotta go over to Grand Central, and then you gotta take the Metro North train. North? So one could take the train, just hypothetically. Marty, come on. What would Connecticut have to offer us? Lyme disease. Thank you, Melman. No, no, really, really, I, I just- There's but, certainly none of this in the wild. But, this is but, a highly but, refined but, type of but, food but, thing that you do not find in the wild. You ever thought there might be more to life than steak, Alex? He didn't mean that, baby. No, no, no. Doesn't it bother you guys that you don't know anything about life outside this zoo? Nuh-uh. Uh -uh. Nope. Well, I mean, come on, that's just one subject. <laughs> and so the pastor started telling Francis, he goes, it's that. I feel like I've domesticated the people coming into my church. That they just live in a cage, they just come in, and I feed them, and it's comfortable. And, and they're made to run. They're made to live out there. And then they bring their kids, and we feed their kids, we feed their high schoolers. Sometimes on Wednesday night, we'll feed them. And he goes, that's not what the church is. And Chan, Chan just, you know, they started this dialogue. It's like, you know, don't we want this life of significance, this life where we're doing it out there, that we come here on weekend services and, you know, we, we have fellowship together. We have a chance to worship together. But it's those other 167 hours out there that we begin living out our faith. We begin living out the power that is within us. And, you know, think how hopeless and desperate it is, you know, to talk to people that are heading to a Christless eternity, to talk to them about this God that we have grown to love. And that's what we want to do, church. That's where we want to be. You know, and if there's ways that we can encourage you, what's God putting on your heart? What is it that keeps you up? You know, is it teen pregnancy? You know, thinking about these 16-year-old girls that are pregnant and have no place to go. Well, that's one of the, the things that we target here is people that are in crisis pregnancy. You know, for you high schoolers and junior hires, you know, I taught 23 years of high school English, and at lunchtime, sometimes I'd just walk around, and I'd see all these kids sitting in doorways. They would hide in the back of classrooms. They would sit by themselves. For all you high schoolers and junior hires, you know, when you talk about what's in your hand, what's the stick you have, have you ever thought about at lunch, hey, I'm going to go find those people. And I'm going to bring some significance to their life. I'm just going to be a friend to them. Sometimes that's all they're looking for. They just want to feel valued. And they can go through a school like CV with 2,400 kids and feel invisible all day. 
but what if you intersected their life? And sometimes you don't know the impact. You know, yesterday I was at a garage sale. I was looking for baseball cards and <clears throat> I'm looking, anyway, okay. And, and I, I show up at this garage sale over by Chester Elementary and I walk, I walk up and this lady goes, hey, you're Steve Allen, aren't you? Yeah? I, I didn't know whether to say yes. Like, ooh, I'm gonna get a discount at a garage sale. I don't know if that's a good deal. And she goes, do you remember you were on an airplane ride this would have been like 2013, and you prayed for me. I was like, what? And she goes, remember I was the flight attendant? I was like, yeah. You started telling me about this hard spot you were having with your daughter, and, you, and I waited till everybody was off the plane, I said, can I just pray for you? I, I didn't know this lady, and I prayed for her. She goes, here's what you don't know. That week, everything changed. Somebody stopped to pray. It wasn't like I had a relationship with her after that, but God began to just intervene there. You know, and that's the part. I don't know what it looks like for you, you know, but when I think of some of the targets we have as a church, you know, with our outreach, we call it our four aims. Loving kids, redeeming stories, planning churches, discipling nations. You know, with loving kids, you know, we're connected to Trentwood Elementary, to Otis Elementary, to Green Acres Elementary, and soon with Freeman Schools. You know, we need people that are like, hey, I could go an hour a week and mentor a, a, a young kid. You know, Trentwood's like, hey, could you have anyone that every other Friday would go run our PTA store? Because we, we don't have parents that want to take that on, but it's so valuable for the relationship with the kids. You know, Holland over at Otis you know, Otis just gave him an award for the group outside of the school that has the most significant impact in that school. Otis Real Life got this award. And I think that's cool. That's what it should look like. You know, the other half of uh, loving kids is dealing with foster care and adoption. Have you ever seen foster kids when they get moved? So many of them, what they have is they have a garbage sack just filled with their life belongings. Hey, what if someone came alongside and said, you know, let's give them a suitcase, let's give them a new set of clothes, let's bring some dignity to, to a young kid that's just living in trauma right now. You know, in our Redeeming Stories, we work with recovery, which you heard last week, with pregnancy. You know, there's a ministry that we work with called Abaddon that works with people that have walked through abortion to help find healing through that. You know, we're starting a group this fall about sexual abuse victims. You know, the statistics show probably half the people, including this room, have dealt with that at some part in their life. But how do you find some healing? You know, we deal with human trafficking. I was just meeting with uh, the detective over at, um, with the Spokane Police Department. He said, Steve, you wouldn't believe what happens on Hoopfest weekend. You know, we think it's just basketball Human traffickers, it's the number one day in Spokane where trafficking happens. He, he goes, we did one sting and arrested 30 people. But I, he goes, here's a need we have. We have these girls that are hungry. They don't have clean clothes. They need some toiletries. Would your church put together boxes that have a little gift card to a, a fast food restaurant, a change of clothes and some toiletries? You know, these are people that are work, walking through what could be the worst trauma that anyone would have to go through. And we want to be part of that. And so as a church, you know, it's really a twofold call. One, 
is who has God intersected your life with? And how are you going to act upon it? How are you going to begin living on offense and get out of the cage and use the stick that God's put in your hand? But as a church, we also want to provide some avenues for that. If you go to our website, vrl.church, scroll to the bottom where it says outreach, what I try to do is put together about 100 of our needs that we're anticipating in the next year. It'll tell you what the need is and even what the time requirement is. Some of them are simple. Hey, next February, would you help load the macaroni and cheese that we donate, put it in a box, and then drive it over to Trentwood Elementary? It takes about two hours. But we have a huge need for that. You know, we have, you know, the cafe, all the funds from the cafe go to local and international outreach. You know, Amber, who is the manager of the cafe, can use help. You know, in the middle of the week, could you run to URM and just pick up the milk and the cups and bring it, bring it to the church? You know, there's a need, even midweek. You know, and this is something that, you know, the title of this message, I should have given this to you 36 minutes ago, is... <laughs> In, I was going to call it in and out but man, a double-double animal style with grilled onions sounds so good. You clap for that, but you got to clap for Jesus, people. Oh, my goodness. Man, we're in trouble. So it, it's called Inside Outside. Christmas, we had almost 6,000 people through our door. We have 2,500 to 3,000 every weekend. What if every person said, I'm going to serve one way inside the church? You know what would happen? Joe and Trevor and our kids ministry wouldn't scramble trying to find volunteers to help oversee classes. Last Sunday, eight o'clock, we didn't have enough people do communion. They ran out like, Steve, we need somebody because we didn't have enough people to hand out communion. You do this and you take it back and you do this. It takes like four minutes. Could you do that? Find one place inside the church and then find one place outside the church. If our church, if 2,500 people took that seriously, this community would change. And we want Valley Real Life to be a part of that and Valley Assembly and East Point and Sun City. We want the church in Spokane to raise up and be noticed and to begin taking back ground that we have thought was lost. And it starts with you. So people, let's pray. God, you deserve all the glory for what you are about to do through these people. And God, I pray, God, that we would just be serious about loving people in this community. We would find one way, one way to make a difference. And God, it would begin transforming our hearts and transforming our community. And would you receive glory for that in Jesus' name? Amen.